I saw a vision this past April, so frightening it staggered my mind. And for the past three months, I've tried to shake it off, but I can't do it. I've only had two in my life. And one of the clearest messages I've ever received from God in my life is this. Use the next few good years left to prepare for financial crises. Get your house in order because hard times are coming. Number two, I saw nature having labor pains. Supernatural signs and changes that can't be explained by men. Worldwide disasters that we're witnessing right now, I see as labor pains in nature, which are going to become more and more frequent and more intense the closer we get to the birth of the kingdom of God. I saw major earthquakes coming to the United States. I saw worldwide famine, especially in China, India, and Russia. I saw the world's food supplies completely dwindled, millions starving. I saw coming a new kind of cosmic storm appearing as a raging fire in the sky, leaving a kind of vapor trail. Tornadoes, hailstorms, floods, and hurricanes are going to pound the earth with such intensity and violence that all of mankind is going to have to admit the world is under supernatural siege.
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. There's a little update on what's going on, just a fragment of what's going on. And in light of this, uh, we're going to do something a little different than I actually wanted to do uh, today. You know, this is something where you get into wrestling with the Spirit. And um, we're actually going to open up today by going to the 24th chapter of Matthew. And um, honestly, it's just not something I want to do. I've taught on this several times in the last uh, year, a couple years, actually. And, but uh, the Spirit is so heavy right now that uh, we're going to go to Matthew 24. And this uh, correlates perfectly with what we're covering in Jude right now. And the message that Jude is conveying and the importance of that message, man, is that going to come out today? And so let's break into Matthew 24 and the first couple of verses. I didn't put them up here. But you have the apostles. They're admiring the glory of the temple. And they bring Yeshua in on this to admire the glory of the temple. Look at the precious stones. And he says, do you really, do you, do you see all these stones? Not one will be left on top of another. It's all coming down. I mean, this is, the disciples were excited. They're in that moment of glorying in the stuff that, you know, the psalmist talks about, you know, the righteous would do this. They would, they would, they would take uh, special care and they would love the very dust of Yerushalayim. And here Yeshua comes back, he responds and says, all of it's coming down, it's going to be destroyed, leveled to the ground. Well, obviously, this is going to prompt some questions, as you would expect. Well, in verse 3, this is what we read. Now, he sat on the Mount of Olives. And this is just kind of an interesting side note. We know this is at night. Yeshua would go to the Mount of Olives at night. He would teach in the temple in the day. He retreated to the Mount of Olives at night. And I only kind of bring that up just to kind of be tongue-in-cheek here for a moment. That, uh, you, you know, when people go camping, you know, as a kids and you grow up, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, um, you know, people pride themselves on being able to tell the scariest stories imaginable so you don't get to sleep the rest of the night in the tent. You're worried about, you're worried about the wolves, you're worried about whatever. You're worried about all these things happening. Well, I kid you not, Yeshua is going to, he's going he's gonna to tell a story that could keep you up for the rest of your life. Because he's going to get into the apocalypse. He's going to get into what's going to happen at the end of the age. Oh, by the way, the very age that we see unfolding right in front of our eyes. And so he sits on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be. We want to know when the destruction of the temple is going to happen. But that's not all they ask. Then they say this, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They were looking forward. They wanted to know, when is the restoration of Israel going to come? When are we going to receive comfort? When are you going to take your rightful place as ruler of heaven and earth? When is this going to happen? What do we look for? Give us a marker. Now, here's the thing. Yeshua doesn't tell them, bugger off. He actually tells them, he accommodates them, and he's going to go through and give them signs. And we continue in verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. All you need to do is turn on your television right now. 
and you will see this is literally happening at an exponential rate. Go to center stage. Go to Israel. Israel's just coming off a very intense war with Hamas. Well, guess what? That war's not done. But now there's another one they're worried about in the north. Hezbollah. Hezbollah's got like some 150,000 rockets ready to go to strike every square inch of Israel. But that's not all they're worried about. There's even something more pressing than that, and that's Iran. Iran wants to blow them off the map. It, it, so it's not a matter of time, and people in Israel know this. It's not a matter of time, or, or it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. When is this war going to happen? It's escalating, and the other countries do not want to see this because they know other countries are going to get sucked into this. Russia will be pulled into this. Most likely, China will be pulled into this. The Middle East is being destabilized as we speak. These things are happening. We have Russia moved over 100,000 troops not that long ago to the border of Ukraine. Tensions are mounting. You have China and Taiwan. Tensions are mounting. You have other countries telling the United States right now, hey, you guys need to, you need to be aware. China is preparing for war to go against the U.S. It's happened. All of this stuff happened. This is what you would expect. As you're coming into the end of days, you would expect World War III type of scenario. And we're literally seeing, we're witnessing these things unfold. Now, I want to draw your attention to one particular thing that is so important today. And that is this. See that you are not troubled. What does that mean? I mean, Yeshua starts off before he gets into this litany of hell being unleashed on the earth. He starts off, see that you are not troubled. Does that mean, okay, so everything I'm about to say, don't even listen to it. In fact, don't, don't worry about it. None of it really matters. Is, is, is that what it means when he says, see that you're not troubled? Well, here's the thing. This is going to be so critical for you right now. And, that, and I know this is why, you know, I'm wrestling with the spirit of God. over wanting to do kind of my, I had something else in mind. But this needs to be understood. And this corresponds perfectly with Jude, so I can see what the Spirit's doing. We need to understand this perfectly. It is not a one-dimensional statement. There's depth to this statement. It has a boatload of meaning. And we're going to get to the bottom. I want to go all the way to the basement so we can see this. And the way to do this, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 15. This is not the first time this statement that Yeshua makes is made in the Bible. It's made back in the Hebrew Bible. It's made back in 2 Chronicles. And when we go there, and you're going to see the context is identical. The context that we see that Yeshua is drawing about, hey, I'm talking about the end of the age. Here's the deal. 2 Chronicles 15 is prophecy about the end of the age. And the context, interestingly enough, well, in the New Testament, you have Yeshua talking to his disciples. Go back to the Old Testament. What we find is the, the prophet Azariah, anointed with the Holy Spirit, is talking to Asa. And this is where we're going to pick this up. Now, follow me on this. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah, and all Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, that's the preposition, if you seek him, as in seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now pay attention because the first thing the Holy Spirit conveys to Esau is this. 
One of the most critical and fundamental principles of the faith. A principle that the devil is going to try to get you not to believe in. A principle that I've unfortunately even engaged in conversations with some other Christians don't believe in. And that even includes in the messianic arena. And it blows your mind. Where Satan brings this complacency upon people and they really don't take this seriously. Or they really don't even believe it. But if you forsake the Lord, he will forsake you. You walk away from him, you're as good as dead. This is the first component. This is the foundation level of understanding those words. See that you're not troubled. Now he continues. Look at what he says. He says this. For a long time, Israel has been out without the true God. How is that possible? Because I read in the Torah, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Torah is crystal clear. How is this possible? And and let me add this. This is not a slip up by man. This isn't man's misinterpretation. I'm sorry, you just don't understand the word. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working through the prophet Azariah. This is the words of the Holy Spirit. And if anyone should understand what he's saying, it's the Holy Spirit. And he just said, for a long time, Israel has been without God. And why is that? They forsook him. Do you understand? See, this goes back to what we've been talking about in Jude. And this is Jude's point. And this is what he's concerned about. You better believe it. If you jump ship, you're going down. No question about it. Just look at the history. Look at scripture. Look at all the times this happens. You need to believe it. Now, as we continue, there are two characteristics that are going to be on the screen here that will help you understand How do you get to this environment where God and Israel are not joined? Because they're married. Why is this fractured? And as we continue, there are two specific elements that cultivate this environment of fracture. That cultivate this environment of divorce, if you will. And what are they? Well, we read this. That Israel is without a teaching priest and without Torah. Isn't that mind-blowing? Because here's the deal. The whole point of the shepherds is to shepherd the flock. And everywhere you look as you start combing through, when the shepherds do not do their job, when they do not speak the word of the Lord, when they are not proclaiming the Torah, when they're not teaching the people to know the right hand from their left, what happens to them? All hell breaks loose. Every time. You could go through. Look at Aaron. Let's start with the Kohen Gadol. Let's let's start with Aaron. The people came to him and said, we don't know what happened to Moses. Uh, Listen to me. Their heart was troubled. They felt abandoned. Israel panicked. Their heart became troubled. And what did they do? Aaron, we don't know what's going on. We need to make some gods, and we need to make them now. We need help. What did Aaron do? The shepherd, the one that was supposed to train them, the right hand from their left, The one that was supposed to divide holy from unholy and the clean from the unclean. He consents. He does not, and actually the text in Exodus 32 says he didn't restrain them. He did not restrain them. This is what happens when the shepherds abandon their job. They'll still hold the position. Aaron's holding the position as Kohen Gadol, but he didn't do his job as a shepherd. And when the shepherds don't govern, watch out. And how does the Lord look at this? Just read Ezekiel 22. 
The Lord does not look favorably upon this. He gets angry when they don't make the distinction between holy and unholy. They're supposed to be communicating and teaching that. The people are supposed to seek the Torah from their mouth. We know this from Malachi. And so when the shepherds start governing the flock, everything falls apart. You know what they're called? You know what these broken shepherds are called in Ezekiel 22? Literally called wolves. You can go read it. They're like wolves. It's exactly what the text says. This is exactly the point Jude is trying to get across. It's unbelievable. They're without law. You know, I look at the church today, and I see broken shepherds. I see shepherds that have abandoned their posts, and I see so many communities rejecting the Torah, rejecting the law. That cultivates the environment of a fractured relationship, a broken relationship. You do not want to be there when all hell is unleashed on this earth. That is not where you want to be. And this is what's being conveyed here. But look at this. We got good news. Verse 4, we read this. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord. In other words, they repented. To return to the God of Israel, sought him, and he was found by them. He was found. Again, I tell you, one of the most critical, important principles you will ever see in scripture, one that you have to believe. And that is exactly what we read. You know, if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. But if you seek him, he will be found. And that talks about true repentance. And so you got to believe the promises. You, you, you can't believe the lies of the enemy that keep telling you, well, you've gone too far. Well, you're a hopeless case. You've been in bondage so long. There's no hope for you. Don't worry about it. Some of you have been years without healing. And so you do what the enemy does best, gets you to give up. You, start, you stop praying about it. Maybe whatever addiction you're dealing with, well, I've been dealing with this so many years, there's no point in trying. Yes, there is. There's a promise at the end of this. The promise, you, you, when you turn and you give everything to the Lord, watch out. Because no matter what sin you have committed, you know what happens? God forgets it. And instead of looking at, and he said, this is the beauty, when you turn to him, instead of looking at all the sin, you know what he sees? He sees the blood of Yeshua. He looks to his son and his righteousness, and that righteousness covers you. And you no longer look like an unclean thing. That's the beautiful promise of the word. But again, it does you no good if you don't believe it. It does you no good if you don't act upon it. You've got to turn back. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. Oh, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. All tribulation. This is prophecy. This is prophecy about the end of the age. Great tribulation fell on them. And why was there not peace as they're going out and they're coming in? Do you understand? Because all the safety is removed. Anxiety is on every side. Fear is on every side. It's not safe to go out anymore. It's dangerous. These are days that we are getting into. It's amazing the conversations you can have as you're standing in the line at whatever store you go to. You're talking to people you haven't met before. And literally listening to them. I mean, my eyes are as big as they get. You can hear them commentate, man, we're not living in a country that I even recognize. We're not living what we used to. I mean, people would go on and say, you know, I used to not lock my doors. And now they're afraid to go to the car. 
Do you understand where we're at right now in Bible prophecy and what is happening? It is unreal. And now as we continue, we're going to get to the quote that Yeshua quotes in Matthew 24. And he says this, So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. Exactly what Yeshua communicates in Matthew 24. Absolutely incredible. This is what, this is what to expect at the end of the age. But listen to what follows. But you be strong. You be strong. Do not let your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. Sound familiar? See that you're not troubled. The very thing Yeshua is telling his disciples that he's telling us today is exactly what the Spirit of God was telling Asa and all the inhabitants. He was telling them, be strong. Don't let your hands be weak. Well, now here's where we really start to get, dig into the more depth of what does it mean to see that your heart is not troubled? A part of that and a part of understanding that is looking toward the future. You will receive reward. Yeshua says, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to him according to his work. The apostles stopped looking at things that are temporary and they looked at the eternal. They didn't invest in anything temporary. They lifted up their head. Because the redemption drew nigh. They're waiting for the reward. The Apostle Paul does a masterful job at bringing this to the table. In fact, you'll notice many of his epistles spent a good amount of time. Focus on the reward. Focus on the reward. Why? Because I need that. If I don't have that, I'm not going to have strength. What strength are you going to garner? What strength are you going to receive if you say, this is all in vain? None of it means anything. I'm just going to suffer and die, and that's going to be it anyways. No, you have to focus on the reward that there is good. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, help me out here, women. This is why you give birth to children. The labor is hellish. Who looks forward to that? You're not looking forward to that. You're looking for the life that follows. That's indescribable. And that whole episode is prophetic. It's prophetic of the very days we are now embarking in. So that you understand, look at a woman who labors in pain and suffers and rejoices minutes later. I mean, that's a mystery of God. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Asa is going to respond to the words of the Holy Spirit. And you want to pay close attention because this is how we need to respond. And this gets into the concept of what it means to see that you're not troubled. In verse 8, we read this. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet, oh, he took courage. He took courage. He believed every word of it. The reward is coming. Okay, I'm focused on the reward. I'm getting strength. When we hear Yeshua's words before he goes into this litany of hell that is being unleashed, he says, see that you are not troubled. And that, that's understanding. We're, we're focused on the reward. We need to be focused on that. That's a huge component. But now we're going to see a practical response. In other words, if in fact, every one of you are going to leave today and say, you know what, I'm going to take heart. I'm going to take courage. What would that look like? Is that simply an idea? Oh, this is where it gets good. It goes on and says, And he removed the abominable idols from the land of Yehuda and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken and the mountains of Ephraim. 
When the spirit of the Lord had spoken to Esau, said, take her, take her, see that your heart is not troubled, he responded by casting down the idols. Every single idol that you have lifted up in your heart, I'm telling you, it's got to come down today. That's got to come down now. You know, I, I, we all meet certain people, and it's interesting, you, you, you get to know them sometimes quicker than others, but you see some people, oh, they're 60, 70% sold out for Christ. You see the really, really good ones, 85, maybe 90%, they're sold out. And the, the exceptional ones are 95 to 99%. Where they're just sold out. But here's the thing. There's little fragments that they withhold. A little percent, a half a percent, a tenth of a percent. They withhold from committing their life and everything of who they are to Christ. They withhold. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, you, do you want to know that the difference is between someone that gives 99.9% of their heart to the Lord and someone that gives the full 100 This person over here will only learn about the Lord in knowledge. While this person who gives everything will experience God. I'm not kidding you. I tell you the truth. Do you want to experience God? You've got to let go. You've got to cast down all the idols. You've got to cast down all the distractions, all the things you give stupid time to. It's just senseless. When you do that, you will move from, oh, I'm just reading the word, I'm studying, man, I just really know the word, this is great. You will move from that to, I know Yeshua. And where people will meet you and say, he's been with Yeshua. There's such, there's such an anointing on him. There's so much power on him. When he speaks, I just, I'm filled with life. My heart burns. That's the difference between 99.9% and 100. You will experience the Lord firsthand. And look at what else he did. This is awesome. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. He is moved. He is taken to heart. He's seeing that his heart will not be troubled. And there is true repentance. He is now repairing the temple. You will have to repair the altar of your heart. What is, you know why this is so significant, the altar? What is that the symbol of? It's a symbol of relationship with God. No altar, no relationship with God. No attempt, no covering for sin. You're separated from God. You need the altar. That's the very vehicle to keep you intact with the Lord. And now is the time to rebuild that altar. Now is the time to cleanse that altar, to cleanse the altar of your heart. And you need to start offering sacrifices on it. The sacrifices of your lips, as Hosea talks about, and, and the writer of Hebrews, give the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. We need to make that offering. The writer of Hebrews also talks about when you open your hand wide to the poor and you give to the poor, that is an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. It's beautiful. Psalm 4 talks about offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Walk in holiness. Kedoshim to you, ki kedosh, ani Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This is what we're called to do. That is righteous. That is a true sacrifice. That's why you got to get this cleansed. We need to do exactly what Asa did. We need to respond to this. We need to respond to Yeshua's words. We have to hear him. See that your heart is not troubled. It's not just a little statement of nothing. 
That means a lot. If you actually believe that, you're talking radical, radical repentance, 100% commitment, not 99.99, 100%. Yeshua's going to go on to talk about more signs that are going to herald his coming. And look at what he says. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Open up your eyes. I mean, this whole COVID-19, which would fall into the category of pestilence. When in the history of the world have you heard the world being shut down? Virtually the entire world shut down and locked down. That's insane. Unprecedented. And unfortunately, the cure that they're offering is worse than the plague. Don't make me go there right now. And famines. Are you reading the headlines? In regard to famines, this is nuts. Meat will disappear. Dire warning issued as food supply chain is breaking. We read this. Rotting food, hungry masses, chaotic supply chains, coronavirus depends on the U.S. food system. We go here. Natural news. Collapse convergence. I'm going to stop right here. Do you understand what Yeshua is talking about when he talks about all these things? It's a convergence of all of these things. This says floods, droughts, famine, vaccine bio-war, and global fiat currency implosion. They're stacking them for maximum devastation. Are you you hearing the farmers right now? I'm hearing stuff I've never heard before in my life. Let me just play a quick clip to give you a little perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, the Biden administration has taken some steps over the last 48 hours through executive actions that can only really be described effectively as absolute warfare on farmers and on the food production systems of the United States. When viewed in concert with the shortage of grains around the world, a looming shortage of fertilizers, the fact that we have been selling out all of our food stocks to other countries and we're being cut off from importing food from anywhere else, the U.S. is in a real world of hurt right now and we need to talk about that. I'm Christian and this is the Ice Age Farmer broadcast and I wish I didn't have such a dark message for you tonight but the reality is this is happening right now. So me and my coworker got talking today and something came up that I didn't really think about when my dad mentioned it to me. He's worked in the agriculture industry for over 40 years. This year, farmers are being offered 1.5 times the value of their crops to destroy them. They're also being told by the federal government they will not receive subsidies for farming if they refuse to destroy their crops. What does that mean? That means that the farmer cannot afford to provide you with food based upon the taxes the government is levying on him if the government doesn't in turn give him back his tax money to provide you with food. And, well, they're not going to subsidize them if they don't destroy the crops. They'll pay them more than what it's worth, and they want them to destroy it, and they'll still get their subsidies. They're trying to create a food shortage. And they continued on the path that they're in right now, and they will. This is exactly what is going down. Stuff that we've never heard of, we could never conceive happening in this country is happening right now. And see, but this modus operandi... We've seen this before. This is an old playbook, right out of communism, right out of Marxism. Just look at the history. This is what they do. When communism comes in and takes over, this is what it's going to do. It's going to destroy the food supply so that they can gain control. That's what it's about. Cause some of the most horrific famines ever known on the planet. Let me read you a little commentary from the first communist revolutions. 
Check this out. Lenin's government advanced to the next stage because he's implementing communism. He, this, he was the key figure uh, in removing uh, the, the current government, right? The czarist regime in Russia. He ordered kulaks, essentially farmers, to be deprived of not only surplus grain, but even seed grain. In other words, whatever crops you get, well, they're going to be ours. And if you were even to think of trying to sell them or trying to earn a living or trying to feed other people, that's, that's, you know, that's not humanitarian. So we're going to come in and take everything because that's what it does. And then it goes on and says this. But after the fruit of their labor had been seized, farmers generally decided there was no point in growing a surplus. Moreover, since seed grain was often taken, more peasants were unable to grow surplus crops, even if they wish. They take all means for you to be able to survive. This is coming. When the perverse incentives of price controls and expropriation, meaning we take your stuff, were mixed with a drought, the result was one of the greatest disasters of this century. The Russian famine of 1921. Official Soviet reports admitted that a fully 30 million Soviet citizens were in danger of death by starvation. Low estimates on the deaths from this famine are about 3 million. High estimates go up to 10 million. That's what you can expect from communism when communism comes into power. This is what it does. In fact, all you need to do is fast forward about 10 years under Stalin and you will see what is known as the Great Famine... They killed 9 million of their own people. You know, I, I want to give you some perspective here. If you ever wondered, like in Revelation 12, we read about the devil. There's a war that broke out in heaven. What was the devil trying to do? He was trying to take over heaven. That's what he was trying to do. He wanted the throne. And what did he want to do? He wanted to impose his government. That's what he was looking to do. What does that government look like? You need not wonder. Look to here on earth, look at communism. That's exactly, it's a Luciferian government. His idea of government is that. So you don't need to wonder. This is absolutely from the pit of hell, demonic. The only thing communism knows is oppression, pain, to, to implement pain and suffering, to take everyone's personal property, to do everything under the sun to destroy you. This is it. And this is here. We are seeing this literally happening. We have seen it happen historically, and now they're doing it. Now, let me throw this at you. Who's the world's leading food exporter? The United States. By a mile. We are the number one food exporter in the world. The second place is not even half of what we export. Now, let me, let's run through this for a moment. If we create a food shortage here and they continue to do what they're doing right now, you think it's going to affect America alone? It's going to affect the entire world. Where do you think all these people are sending food as they're, as they're feeding Africans? Where do you think they're getting this from? You understand the seriousness of what is going on right now and how what Yeshua is talking about as we look at this statement right here. That there's going to be pestilence, earthquakes, there's going to be famines. I am telling you, we're watching these unfold all together in concert. See, you can look at every one of these things. Okay, nation rising against nation, that's war. We, we can talk about famines, we can talk about pestilence, earthquakes. All those things have happened since the beginning of time virtually. Each one of them. That's not unique. 
But it is when you get into the time of tribulation because they bottleneck, they're all coming together. All hell breaks loose. It is incredible. And that's what we're seeing right now with the pestilences, with the famines that we see. I mean, you go to Revelation 6, the rider's ready to get ready to ride on the black horse. He's mounting. As our food surpluses and our farms are being pillaged, this is what you can expect. And why, pray tell? Riddle me this. Why is Bill Gates the leading owner of farms all of a sudden? Just a question. Something's coming. Moving on to Yeshua's words. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, this is the beginning of tribulation. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. See, I need to be strong. I need to be able to take heart. Because the things that Yeshua is describing are horrific. I need the strength. I need repentance. I need every percent of my heart sold out and radical right now because I will never make it. I'll never make it through what's coming. We'll fold. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and hate one another. Look, look around. All these things that Yeshua is talking about, these are the things that portend his coming. Okay, they'll herald his coming. Look around you. When in the history, in this nation, even other parts of the world, do we see things so polarized? It is unbelievable. Now, we now have a government that is more than dysfunctional. And of course, we can make jokes, crack jokes. It's never been functional. But it is dysfunctional because there's no going across the aisle anymore. You recognize that, right? Where, you know, Republicans would work with Democrats, Democrats would work with Republicans. That's done. Those days are done. So the only thing left is one or the other has to totally take over. Do you understand that? We're being polarized where now families are being ripped apart. We're being categorized, polarized between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. It is unbelievable. What is happening right now is mind-blowing in the light of what Yeshua already told us would come. Have you ever seen such hatred? Never. People walk down the street and you can feel it. Then he goes on and says this. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, not some. And if you read verse 24, and I didn't put it up here, it's such deception that if it were possible, even the ones who were written in the Lamb's book of life would be deceived. We're not dealing with this petty deception. We're not dealing with easily recognizable deception. No, we're dealing with the worst of the worst kind of deception that is beguiling. And where are they going? They're going to the church. This is where the false prophets and false teachers, this is the plan. And it's going to be like a dam bursting in this generation. And false prophets and teachers flooding, flooding the market all over the churches. And what will they do? What do false prophets do? They get the people to trust in a lie. That's what they do. And they do it well. You know, discernment's not a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Discernment's the ability to tell the difference between that which is right and that which appears right. Not my own quote, Charles Spurgeon. He was right on the money. That is a biblical understanding of what true deception is. And I'm going to tell you, you'll never make it through deception 
unless 100% of your heart is sold out to Yeshua and you are in the word of God and you are feeding on the spirit. No one can know the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, if I don't have the spirit of God, something sounds good, I'm a goner. That's just the reality. That's how it works. Verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. See, Yeshua says, as you get into those days, right before my coming, lawlessness will be the norm. In fact, sin will be celebrated. It will be exalted. Good will become evil. Evil will become good. And now look at us. Not even just in this country, but all around the world, we're parading our sin. We're parading it. We're celebrating it. We legislate it. We protect it. We promote it. We shove it down people's throats. Yeshua said this would come before his return. These things that we're seeing in concert, by the way. All of these things coming together, the hatred, the lawlessness, the pestilence, the famines. All of this thing, all of these things working together. But look at what Yeshua does. It's almost like he encapsulates everything we've covered. He began, do not lose heart. And now he's going to encapsulate it with this statement. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Exactly what we were talking about last week. He who endures. The only way you're going to get to the end is if you endure. That's the reality. You need perseverance. Without it, you're not going to make it. You know, and I think of Israel again. They were called to go up and take the land. What happened to them? They lost heart. They lost heart. They lost faith. They were terrified. Fear overtook them. They couldn't handle it, and they didn't obey God because of the fear, because of the discouragement. So when Yeshua says, take heart, yeah, this is what we're talking about. We're talking, your faith has got to be intact. And we read this in Revelation. Here is the patience, and that's endurance. You look in the Greek, it's endurance, perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. No matter, the culture here is getting more and more intolerant to the beautiful name of Jesus. They hate his name. And it's not simply hating a name. What do they hate? They hate him. They hate his character. They hate his word. They hate his personality. They hate who he is. It's unreal. It's, it's so blasphemous. It's so vile where we're at. And with that said, with all of that, we're going to jump back to Jude taking the wisdom of Yeshua with us and Jude going through saying woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain and have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah now we're going to break new ground verse 12 there are spots you laugh these are spots in your love feast now I want to highlight this Spilades these are rocks or reefs in your love feast. And, and, and in the context of hidden. Now, to put this into a metaphor that you, you can appreciate, think of the RMS Titanic. Went out its maiden voyage, right? This glorious vessel that was supposed to reach the destination New York, and it was going to be celebrated once it reaches its destination, it was so glorious and the people were excited. And this was a ship that was unsinkable. And you want to listen to me carefully because there are many people, many Christians 
that believe they're unsinkable though they don't heed warnings. That scares me to death because this is where Jude is going. See, because what he's saying is, is these, these spilates, these, these rocks are in your love feast. And you think of it, you're as a ship and you're going. If you are not careful and you don't heed the warnings, they will take you out. These men are dangerous. Jude is really concerned about them. The whole focus of his epistle is on this. If you're not careful, we think about what Yeshua just, what, what he just said. They're, you know, the dam's going to break. They're going to bust open and they're going to be flood the land. They're going to flood the church. All these false prophets, false shepherds, false teachers, false pastors. But the word of the mantra pastor, they'll hold the position, they'll claim they know Jesus. That's, a, that's, that's deception. That's deceptive. And so he says, these are spots or rocks, reefs, hidden reefs in your love feast, which is just simply, it's not, don't take that hyper literally in the sense it's only talking about festivals. It's not what it's talking about. It could apply to that. It's talking about the union of the ecclesia. When you come together, small, big, doesn't matter. And then he says this, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Why? Can they get and they, they, how can they sit among us? How can they come over and partake bread at our houses and not fear? What does it mean they don't fear? They don't fear God. They do not fear judgment regardless of their decisions that they're making, the choices that they're making. They have no fear. And these are the men that the Apostle Paul talks about in his letters to Timothy. They desire to be teachers of the law, but they understand neither the things they say nor the things they affirm. Right? They'll have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They always are learning. They're always in the Word, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of truth. They spend hours a day in the Word, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, because their, their desires are still number one. Their fleshly desires and who they are. Pride overtakes men like this. These kinds of men are unteachable. It's amazing to me. They're unteachable. And they're not worried about community. They don't care about you. See, they're serving only themselves. They'll come into your midst. They're not worried about how do I serve the community better? How do I serve these people that I'm going over to meet? How can I love on them? They're they're not worried. What are you going to give them? I mean, this is total, total corruption. He goes on. They are wells without water or clouds without water. And I say wells because Peter's version, he uses the metaphor of wells. Uh, Jude uses clouds. They're saying the exact same thing when you think about it because, you know, a cloud, the anticipation is you see a big, puffy, black cloud. You're expecting rain. And when you're living again in the first century and you're in the arid Middle East and rains come in, you need the rains in the rainy season. It is life. It is sustenance. That's what it is. They rejoice over it. That's why rain is considered the blessing of God. God comes and he blesses his people through that. See, and, and, and what Jude is saying is, is that you have these people that look Christian. They're walking around, but they don't have any blessings. None for you. No life to give you. And he goes on. They're carried about by the winds. You think of the way Paul uses the metaphor. In the very same way, Paul uses the metaphor that there are certain people who are carried about by every wind of doctrine. Every wind of doctrine. See, these people are unteachable when it comes to the word, but they can go to YouTube and they can be buried in all sorts of kookball teachings. 
all over the place. And they can take this on like nobody's business. But when it comes to the word, they can't receive it. I've met these people. They scare the daylights out of me. It is unreal. These people exist. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. You know, I, I think of that. And you, you know, it didn't work out so good when Yeshua saw the fig tree without fruit. He cursed it. And his disciples were in awe. Let no fruit ever grow on you again. He was done. And I mean, that is, that's jarring. But that's what's going to happen in Matthew 7 when all those professing Christians are standing in front of Yeshua and say, Lord, you, you don't get it. I did all these things. I was for you. I lived for you. And he's going to say, he's going to curse them. You know, let no fruit ever grow on you again. You will cease to exist. You're done. You're going to be cast into the fire. Trees that are supposed to bear fruit that don't bear fruit are worthless. It's a salt without saltiness. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. And so Jude's going through this litany of imagery. He's got rocks and clouds and trees and stars and seas. He's utilizing God's beautiful nature and what he's created to bring us understanding of who these men are. They all look the part, but they don't follow. They don't follow up. They don't, they don't provide what is needed, whether they're trees not having fruit or clouds without water. Now, as we continue, the writer's going to hit his crescendo. This is the crescendo of the epistle. Verse 14. Now, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. Our writer is consumed with the book of Enoch. And here we see evidence again. Now he's going to go to the book of Enoch. He's literally going to quote Enoch 1.9. And this is his crescendo. This is where Jude wants to land his plane. And all these things that we've learned in the book of Jude, he's going to bring it down to the finest point. And what does what is, what is actually Enoch 1.9 say? Well, it begins by saying this. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, which is to say his angels. You can read Matthew 16. Matthew 24, Matthew 13, he's coming with his angels, the host of heaven. And they're going to take care of business. Now, this sounds pretty good. The Lord's coming. This sounds good until you read this. To execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is where Jude goes. He goes to the end. Do you know this is exactly where Yeshua goes in Matthew 24? He goes to the end. Jude takes it and says, listen, you want to sin? You're going to end up in hell. You will be destroyed. You will experience the most unimaginable death you could possibly conceive. That is coming to you. See, but this, this is the part of the gospel that nobody wants to believe anymore. This is the part of the gospel that's getting left out. That's getting swept under the rug. And yet I tell you because I've seen it firsthand. This is the part of gospel that brings more people to the altar and repentance to cry out to Yeshua because they need him. And now they understand they need him. Because I'm going to hell if I am not saved. If I don't commit 100% of my heart to the Lord Yeshua, I'm not going to make it. I can remember growing up and my wife and I, we've talked about this. But growing up, we grew up in the Assemblies of God, and the Assemblies put on this production called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. 
And I, 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 to this day, I will tell you that that brought more people to the altar than I've ever seen any production. It is unreal. And it was really a production kind of off the heels of the Jesus movement. There's a little gap in time, but this production started coming out. It was, it was in and of itself like a revival. And the whole concept of it was, is you need to underthink about the reality of hell. And they would show different people in this little skit and different people uh, would die, and then they had to come to the judgment, but they weren't ready. And they were begging and pleading, oh God, please, no, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to do this. And it would be story after story. It was so powerful, because this is what's going to happen. And you would see, the moment the pastor would go up there and give an altar call, man, they would flood. People just got out of their seats, they got out of the pews, and they went forward, because every one of them had a perspective that hell is coming, hell is real, and if I don't get right, I'm going to be there. This is what we need today. We need the whole gospel. And this is where Jude lands this plane. And so we're going to close here for today. And... We're going to spend some time in prayer. And I'm just going to encourage you, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You've got to get 100%. If you can tell yourself right now, I have not given my heart 100% to Yeshua, you've got to do it now. Because we are embarking at the end of the age. And these things are starting to happen. So with that said, uh, let's go into prayer.